0: Before and uh, why don't we uh, re-read verse 12 to get the contact?
1: coming
0: in? There's a chair there. And there's some more space for everybody. Ariel and Henry. <coughs> kind of All right. No problem. We're just starting. First Timothy 4. Would somebody read 12 to 16? Let no one look down on your youthfulness,
1: but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching persevere in these things,
0: for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Okay, and so we looked last time at verse 12 for Timothy not to allow others to look down on his youthfulness by showing in his character and conduct maturity and spiritual responsibility and that sort of thing. And these are more or less instructions Paul is giving Timothy as a younger man who's uh, teaching the gospel to the brethren at Ephesus as to what he's to do, what his priorities should be, and how he should conduct himself. And in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 4, what are the things that Timothy needs to give attention to? priority on the reading of Scripture, and then the exhortation, the teaching that come out of that, why would it be important for Timothy to focus on public reading of Scripture?
1: Because
0: not everybody had a copy. That's one thing. There's more emphasis probably in the Bible on the reading of Scripture publicly, because... How else are you going to come in contact with the scriptures? They didn't have printing presses, and so not everybody would have a copy of it. But even if they don't have a copy of it, why bother reading it for them? Maybe they couldn't
2: read if they did have a copy?
0: Well, I'm saying, the same thing. yeah, I'm saying, okay, they don't have a copy, but why is it important to read it? Why is reading the scripture important in any context? Sure. And remember that Timothy is primarily charged with responsibilities to um, correct those who were teaching things that were wrong. Well, the best way to counteract the teaching of error is to read the scripture and teach it. So his priority needs to be reading it and then encouraging people to do it and explaining, teaching what it means. That's the way to counteract error. That's the way to build people up. I mean, that's the role of someone who's going to come into a congregation and help. If they do it based upon their own wisdom or whatever the latest philosophies and ideas are or whatever, that's not going to be nearly as, that's not going to be edifying like it will be if they base it upon the Scriptures. (coughs) Comments and thoughts on that verse?
2: What's the difference between exhortation and
0: teaching? I would say that teaching informs people as to what God's Word is saying and explains it. Exhortation stirs people up to apply it and to do it. Barnabas was a son of exhortation. I take it that he was a guy who was gifted at encouraging people to make practical application of the Scriptures in their life. And I think you can see room for both. We need to be taught we need explanation of what it means but we also need prodded to do it and uh, you know the idea would be what you have said Timothy here give attention both to the teaching and to the exhortation you've got to have a combination of those two things to have the full picture other thoughts? Now he says in verse 14, uh, not to neglect the spiritual gift within him, um, that he got through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. I do not know exactly what this spiritual gift was. But evidently he received some kind of spiritual ability or blessing that he's not supposed to neglect which is interesting because often you would see some kind of a spiritual gift or blessing as being something that, well if you got it, then you got it. And that's just what it is. But evidently this is something that can be developed. That you can use it in such a way as to actually enhance the gift or make proper application of it or whatever. And while I don't know what Timothy's was, that's exactly what we need to do with ours. When we have abilities and blessings given to us by God, what we need to do is not neglect them, but use them and apply them uh, so that we can grow in those ways. Do you have some thoughts and comments on that verse? What are some
1: possibilities?
0: What type? How do you explain what you mean? Well, I assume that it could have been like one of the special spiritual gifts from like 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. So maybe the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing or tongues or something like that. I think that would be a possibility. Or I think it could have just been some sort of a an ability maybe to exhort or to teach or to lead or, or some other specific... Um, ability that he got to use in the Lord's work so I I would think those two would be possibilities at least and then he, he says in verse 15 that he needs to really be diligent with these things work hard at them so that your progress will be evident to all um, I think it's possible from second Timothy that the word progress was sort of a um, kind of a special word that the false teachers use. They wanted to make progress, kind of an elitist idea, and that he's picking up their slogan and saying you work hard at this so that your progress will be known to all. You might look at second Timothy chapter two verse 16. This doesn't use the word progress in my translation but it does in the margin but avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness in my margin for they will make further progress in ungodliness he seems to be picking up that word and said they're going to progress alright in ungodliness and 2 Timothy 3 verse 9 but they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all just as Genesis and Jambry's folly was also so the fact that he keeps using that term progress I'm not sure about this but I think it's possible that it was a word the false teachers used and he's kind of turning it on them and uh, either way Timothy needs to make progress by working hard in developing his abilities in teaching and exhorting properly and and doing this in such a way that everybody would be able to see that he's really growing in the Lord and and serving Him well in verse 16, especially paying attention to what two things? Yourself and your teaching. Now, that's interesting. I think that is the proper order. First, get yourself, your own life right, and then your lesson that you're teaching. Why would it be important to go in that order? Okay, if your own life isn't right, you're more likely to teach improperly. What else? Yeah, it really is. What do you think about hearing the truth from somebody who you know isn't living it? How does that affect you? It's it's rendered null by the messenger exactly yeah actions speak louder than words don't we say you know somebody who doesn't live it um you know I was talking with a young person a while back about uh, a preacher that had been in the church they were a part of and, and he made the statement you know he's not sincere now I don't know whether that's true or not but whether it's true or not this young person obviously did not have any respect or pay much attention to what he'd said because in his perception the man wasn't sincere you know what I do is gonna just destroy what I'm trying to teach if if it's not consistent and it's really not the right thing we ought to take the plank out of our own eye before we pick the moat out of our brother's eye I mean it's only right to apply what we're learning to ourselves first I mean if I don't do that, do I really care? Do I really care about what I'm teaching if I've not even listened to it and tried to apply it in my own life? So I think that's, you know, very appropriate. It, it's one of those things that they have to go together. Correctness in my moral life goes with correctness in my teaching. Some people seem very concerned about making sure you don't teach false doctrines and you teach everything just right, but they don't seem to care about how you live. So if that, if somebody like that, you begin to question, do they really love God? If they love God so much, why wouldn't they want to live it? Why are they only concerned about making sure we get it right in our teaching? I think Paul's got a good balance. Now think about what happens if you neglect one or the other what happens if you become so engrossed in teaching other people that you forget to live it? what happens if you become so engrossed in just building yourself up that you don't bother teaching others you see that there's a balance and while the first priority is to yourself it's appropriate that having corrected yourself then you pay attention to your teaching because what are you trying to say? <laughs> that's the goal that way you'll save yourself and others so we need to have that dual focus um, I, I think sometimes there's a temptation if you're like teaching a Bible class or preaching a sermon that you're just looking for things that will teach well and preach well and sound good and not think about what it means for you I think that's tip te- you know this will make a good point I mean have you ever started teaching something you got halfway through and you realized you were making a good point, but you had never really thought about how that means you ought to change. You know, I mean, it's really important when we come to the scriptures, the first thing we think, how does this apply to me? And then, how, what can I teach to others that will help them understand? Comments and thoughts on all that. in chapter 4 well he's giving Timothy instructions in his work he's in Ephesus he's been left there to do a bunch of stuff to help the brethren and that's what we've just been looking at in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 I think fits right in with that I would consider these two verses kind of transition verses. They sort of fit with chapter four, but they also lead into the rest of the stuff he's talking about in chapter five. So, somebody want to read the first two verses?
2: Chapter five. Yes. We do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father; the younger men as brothers; the older women as mothers; the younger as sisters. for all purity.
0: So here's how he's supposed to deal with different categories of people. Because he's going to be making applications. He's going to be trying to help them correct sins in their life. But he's got to pay careful attention to what category they're in as far as to the proper method of dealing with them. What about older men? What does he have to do with them?
1: he to him as a father.
0: As opposed to what? the way you treat your sibling. Yes. He's trying to help the young Timothy to avoid what? Being disrespectful? Yes. I think so. I mean, if you're talking to a considerably older man, Timothy, (coughs) you can't sharply rebuke him. If you do that, if you're a Timothy, and you sharply rebuke an older man, what would we call that? He's trying he's sort of being what? Say a smart aleck. Isn't that kind of what you see? Some some young guy who comes along to some older guy and is just kind of harsh and 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 you know dictatorial. Really that doesn't fit. That's not appropriate. Um, it's very difficult. All the way around. I think that kind of attitude is bad for the young man. Because he becomes sort of haughty and arrogant. It's bad for the older person he's trying to correct because it would be very difficult for an older man to learn from a smart-alecky younger man who's just very harsh and sort of, uh, you know, domineering. I think you've got to be careful about your attitude. You may be right, but the age there has to temper how you correct. I think that's a good lesson for how we deal with our parents, which is difficult. That, you know, God wants respect. Doesn't mean our parents are always right. Doesn't mean the older men are always right. I mean, he, he, I suppose if he says, don't sharply rebuke him but appeal to him as a father he's assuming there may be situations in which the older man needs corrected but we've got to do that with respect like we would to a father <laughs> sometimes young people don't treat their fathers like fathers but i think it's important that we have a, a, a respectful attitude it's not that we can't correct especially an older man we have to be careful about that even with the father but but we have to do that calmly and gently and humble. Do you have some thoughts on that? How does he deal with the younger man? Treat my like
3: brothers?
0: Yeah. As opposed to what? What's he trying to get at there when he says treat the younger man as brothers? Don't, like, act like you're more mature or or special or whatever. Absolutely. Because there's nothing that annoys you more than a peer acting like a big shot. You know, oh, that doesn't work well. If, if you're on the same age level, then you've got to be brother to brother, you know, friend to friend. This This arrogant spirit of talking down to people. Does not work. The only place in which there's something that can be done that way, I'm talking down, but 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 perhaps a little bit more of a tone of authority would be with an older one to a younger one. We would expect a little bit more authority in that. Even at that I think we have to have some concern about that. We're still brothers. But especially when you're dealing with somebody the same age, it's gotta be in a brotherly tone, or it's not gonna work. And then what about the older women? Yeah, which I think would be saying the same thing he's saying to the older men. You know, don't be harsh, be gentle, be humble. Um, really, be bad to be smart alecky to an older woman. You know, that's that's gross. I mean, that's just not. Again. You know, you have to have some respect for the age. They may be doing things that are totally disrespectful. You know, they may be, they may need correction. But the age itself requires some kind of respect. That's that's the only appropriate way to deal with that. If you don't do that, it's it's just not right. And Timothy here, as we pointed out, is not a super young man. I mean, judging from the fact that you know 12 or 15 years before he was going with Paul on missionary journeys I'd assume he's got to be 30 or so here Uh, but he may be dealing with women who are 50 or 60 years old or 70 so you have a certain amount of respect and then the younger women how's how's he supposed to treat them (laughs) like sisters and the point he's making about that is what
2: Purity. <clears throat> I mean, that, that's that's what it hits me as. He, he, it's as you said before. It's corollary to how he's to treat the the younger man. Again, not acting the big shot, but they're not really sisters.
0: Yes. And so, in all purity, I wonder if he's saying. You know, there are obvious dangers when you cross gender lines, especially with someone of a similar age. I mean, would it be appropriate for even me as a middle-aged man to spend a lot of time alone with some middle-aged woman that's not my wife? That would not be right. You know, I don't think my wife would appreciate that. And it just wouldn't be the proper thing to do at all. Timothy is a younger man. He needs to be careful to treat the younger women as as sisters in all purity. Think about the kind of relationship a guy ought to have with a girl he's not married to. He ought to treat her like a sister. It seems to me that's kind of the model for any girl you're not married to um and it kind of set some limits because there's certain things you probably wouldn't do with your sister right because it can be you know not very good and so use that model timothy you know if you got you know you with a, a a girl of your same age a young lady then treat her in a sisterly way, not in some kind of a sensual way. I really think this is a good pattern when it comes to dating. Because, where did God put all um, sexual sort of things? He put it in marriage. You know, God gave those things, he intends he gave us gender he gave us an attraction and he gave us marriage and he intends in marriage for the two to become one, that's part of God's plan that's beautiful, that's perfect, there's nothing ugly or sinful or dirty about that but now those kinds of things need to be kept to the lawful marriage relationship and I wonder what justification there would be for a guy and a girl who are even dating but they're not married to do things with each other that they would find gross to do with their sister or with their grandmother or whatever you can show affection to your sister an appropriate affection can't you? you know, I mean it would be okay to you know, put your arm around your sister. I don't think anybody would think that was gross. You could hold your sister's hand. Um, there are certain kinds of embraces that you wouldn't think anything about if you know you did that with your sister. You gave her a hug within limits. Not every kind of hug would you give your sister. Um, but now there's some things that your sister with your grandmother you think no yuck, that's gross why would you think that what would make it that way if it's not that it is actually a a sexual kind of a thing you know if it's not that then why would it be gross with your sister obviously you have a close relationship or can have with your sister I mean, you would expect in a family. There's a family closeness. There's a family togetherness. You know, there's a there's a certain degree of of maybe even affection in most families. That that might even go a little bit over and above what you'd have among you know ordinary people. But but normally and and appropriately, there are certain limits on that that we almost would put in place without even thinking about. It. You you remember hmm, that. Um, when, uh, when Abram went down to a couple of places and was afraid that he had such a beautiful wife that the kings of those places would steal her remember what he said about her she's my sister and then in one case they, they caught him you know uh, I guess I don't know smooching with her or whatever and uh, they the king then I no that's not his sister <laughs> You know, obviously not. I mean, there are, you can go in some places, I mean, even, you know, maybe certain restaurants or whatever, and you could see two people, you know, doing certain things, and you would immediately say, oh, they're not brother and sister. You know that. <laughs> well, how do you know that? So that's a really important guideline. Timothy needs to be very careful to treat the younger ladies as sisters. And it seems to me like the appropriate thing for us to do until we get married to someone treat them like a sister in all purity. Or would you think that it would be okay to just treat them with partial partial purity if you're dating? Why wouldn't in all purity apply? And then of course the sexual relationship is pure within marriage. There's nothing sinful or or bad about that at all there. I don't know. What do you think about all that?
2: my first thought was that um, there may be a familiarity between brother and sister that would not be extended to Timothy's relationship with these younger women and I almost saw the word yet in front of the in all purity you treat them as a sister yet in all purity and, and again I go back to that you know you, you, you kind of drew the line that brother and sister well a hug but not all hugs Well. Um, there may be a familiarity in a family that you wouldn't
0: extend in all purity to someone who wasn't your family. Okay, so maybe even this is more restrictive. Yeah, that may be. You know, may, I, I, you know, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure whether in all purity is just sort of explaining how, or if it's saying, you know, but in all purity. Uh, because if if it's that, then it's really just saying... You know, she's a sister but don't get carried away with that. Uh. Other thoughts and comments on versus one and two. I like how uh, he talks about like don't do not sharply uh, rebuke an older man or, you know, it's a younger men as brothers, you know, uh I guess trying to have respect. Um uh, there's a temptation to think that, you know, I'm doing spiritually so much better than these people, and we got to get puffed up or whatever. Yes, I think you're right. I think sometimes in, you know, Christian kinds of things, you know, it almost leads to pride, you know, if you think of it the wrong way, and you think, well, I, I certainly have the right to tell them what to do, look at who I am, look what I'm doing, and look how good I am, and all that. Good point. If there's any goodness in us, it's from the Lord. This isn't just the way we treat our parents it's the way we treat all people. No. Exactly. This is what we can learn from them. Exactly. Yeah, he's saying to treat these people like you treat your own. Exactly.
1: There's many a lot of different examples throughout the whole New Testament of ways that people approached people. You know, there's different ways that Paul taught different ones. That Jesus taught different different ones. You know, and you look at there, there's obviously some differences in in the age of the people and their their spiritual uh, condition or position or growth. You know, where they, where they are. And I think it it addresses it appears to me it addresses some of the tactics but not the truth Is that does that makes sense mm-hmm. it still needs to be said but there may be some variation as to how to do it I think we often get carried away in that to the point that we we almost forget about the truth and start working so much on how we're going to get we got to get to know the person and we got to do this and we've got to you know, build this relationship before we ever even approach the, the subject of the truth. And I don't know if that's contrary to what, you know, where, where's that line?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, here it looks to me like he's dealing with specific situations with people in a congregation where you know somebody's doing wrong or somebody needs some kind of specific spiritual help and so you go to give it to them. In terms of just teaching the message, Paul would go to towns cold, go to synagogue, go to marketplace, go to school building, wherever, and just preach and teach. He didn't have any relationship with some of the people he preached or taught the message to. I think we we declare the message forthrightly, openly. But when it comes to actually making a specific application in the life of a brother or sister, we are careful about approaching them about that in the proper respectful manner doesn't mean we change what we teach them as far as what the truth is about that. He's not saying don't appeal to the older man. Just do it in a fatherly kind of a way. I often think about the way Paul
1: approached Peter when he was up in the, the Jews and separating himself you know that, that is an example and I don't know the age there or how that or anything probably but, similar yeah but the way he did it was he opposed him and he told him he needs to straighten up. It, it appeared to me that it was pretty direct pretty straightforward I don't know yeah I it think... doesn't indicate in any way that it wasn't loving or like that
0: yeah I don't think this is saying not to be direct and straightforward. You know, I think you can be brotherly and be direct. I think you're not disdainful and, and uppity about it. You're not smart-alecky about it. In fact, sometimes, indirect almost leads more to this haughty snobbish attitude. If you're just very direct and you say it directly, that's what you do man to man, brother to brother. So. I don't think he's trying to get us not to be direct. I think he's trying to get us not to be arrogant. <clears throat> Other thoughts? Good coming. Well, this is sort of transitioning us to a different topic. The next several paragraphs are going to talk about Appropriate honor given to various groups. In verses 3 through 16, we're going. In 1 and 2, we have the age groups. In verses 3 to 16, we have widows and how we're to treat them. In 17 to 25, elders and the proper honor given to them. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the proper honor for slaves to give their masters. So you really have. Four specific sections dealing with the appropriate honor to give to different groups. And verses 1 and 2 were kind of the introduction of that, the appropriate honor given in various age and gender groups. Okay? The, so, now we're looking at the appropriate honor to give to widows 3 to 16.
2: honor widows who are widows indeed but if any widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of god now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on god and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in regard of, in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed.
0: Okay. We've got several sections here dealing with these widows. And he first talks in verses 3 through 8. Verse 3 is sort of the general statement. Honor widows who are widows indeed. And he's going to define that and explain that throughout this section. But that's the overall principle. Honor widows who are widows indeed. And then he begin, He talks to the relatives of widows in verse 4. What should happen when a widow has children or grandchildren? We
3: should take care of her.
0: In what sense? Physically. Yeah, providing whatever she needs you know, taking care of her financially taking care of of whatever you know, situations that she faces but with a view primarily to physical, financial sort of a thing and uh, you think about it um, have our parents ever done anything for us? I mean, why is it and there might be some things you could say about this, but why is it easier for one poor father to support a handful of kids than for a handful of rich kids to support one poor father? Isn't that interesting? You know, I mean, our parents supported us. They took care of us. The only right thing to do is to take care of our Parents, our grandparents, when they have needs. I mean, that seems to me like that's almost just kind of an ethical principle. That's hardly even a spiritual principle. That's just justice. That's fairness. And uh, that's the proper respect to show uh, to, to those who, you know, have taken care of us. So that's the first point. He makes a statement to the relatives. Take care of your widows. And then he defines the widows indeed. In verse 5. She's a widow indeed. If she's left alone. Has fixed her hope on God. And continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. It's really a couple of qualifications to be a widow indeed. She's got to not have anybody to take care of. Mm. And... She's got to be a spiritual person. Um, so he's distinguished be, distinguishing between widows who've got family to take care of them. And widows who are by themselves. And who are spiritual. Now, by contrast, you know, he speaks to the widows in verse 5. Or about the, what the widows indeed are. But verses 6 and 7 are kind of a judgment on the widows who aren't righteous. She who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. You know... I mean, a a widow who just gives herself over to sensuality and substance abuse and and carousing and whatever, well, she doesn't even have life. She's spiritually dead. And then he comes back to the relatives in verse 8 and kind of (laughs) talks about the disobedient relatives. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith and his worth is unbelief. This makes a difference. You've got to provide for your needy parents. So he speaks to the relatives in verse 4, the widows in verse 5 positively. Then in 6 and 7 to the widows negatively and to the relatives negatively in verse 8. And the whole point of that is take care of your parents and grandparents but a really widow who has nobody to support her and, and is spiritual that, that's the kind of defining that she's, she's a widow indeed but if, if she gives herself pleasure then she's certainly not so we sort of defined out that widows indeed are a special category the widows who have family that's who ought to take care of comments and questions through verse eight. she lives
2: in pleasure the children still take
0: care of her? I think so I think here he's dealing with a widow in contrast to verse 5 and in verse 5 she's one who's been left alone but she's spiritual. In verse 6 here's one who gives herself to pleasure she's not spiritual but I would assume that this is still talking about one who has no family really I think the family obligations are in 4 and 8. In 5 through 7 we're talking about the widow indeed who has no family, but some of them are spiritual, verse 5, and some of them live in pleasure, verse 6. Yes? I
2: have a, I guess, I think it's related question about um, putting elderly people in nursing homes when there's no overwhelming need to do it. I mean, would these verses justify it by saying well I'm providing financially? Or if your your motive is just to get the elderly person out of the way, would these verses support the need to take
0: that person in? I mean, I don't know that they really directly say take them in. But the principle is to give them appropriate honor and care. So, maybe these passages combined with other passages talk about love. And that sort of thing. And just to honor our parents. You know, honor is more than just money. I think it includes money. But it's not just money. So you wouldn't honor a parent by just sort of wanting to put them away so that you don't have to be around them or you don't have to deal with them. I mean, I think that's true with a lot of things. We tend in our society to have more money than we have willingness to sacrifice ourselves. So if we can give some money, then we've saved our conscience and we don't have to deal with it. It's kind of like the passage of visit fatherless and the widows in their affliction. You know, James 1.27, I think that would include to help them financially. But just the idea of, well, I gave to such and such a cause, that took care of all my responsibilities to widows and orphans. There may be one show up at my doorstep and I'll give them some food, but I'm not going to give them love, attention, concern, and things like that. I think we tend to be that way. Almost trying to discharge personal responsibilities with money. I'm not saying money shouldn't be given. We ought to be generous with our money. But often in personal relationships it may not even be money that's needed. It's personal attention. And so I don't think it'd be loving to try to just get rid of our parents by throwing some money to some home and ignoring them. Now, the question as to how to best care for our aging parents, obviously there are many situations and many complications. You know, there may be parents who prefer not living with their children or even good reasons why children may not want their parents living with them. Uh, and there are sometimes medical situations that, you know, obviously have to be dealt with in some sort of an institution or whatever. Um, but I mean, I would think this way. Um, when we were young, we need a lot of attention. And although this is common in our culture probably for many of us our parents didn't just pay somebody to give us attention Um, and even those who did probably our parents personally gave us a good bit of attention probably almost daily so would it not be just to give our parents attention as they need that um, as they want that um, on a personal basis not just on I'll pay somebody to take care of it. I mean that that seems to me like that would be a, a fair thing and he's dealing with those principles so I don't know really it directly says that but I think some of the principles would. We'll, we'll do it think
1: about trying to apply this if you had no money it, it obviously is not contingent on that we know that you could still do it so maybe that would figure in the equation. How how it, you know there's got to be more to it than
0: just money. Yes, and in fact, you know how it is in our in our <coughs> lifestyle. Often, in contrast to you know other eras, often widows, parents, whatever, don't have financial needs. I mean, with all the social insurance and pensions and 401ks and all that, it's probably a lot more common to have non-needy parents than it used to be i mean i think you know in this era you had a widow she almost always would need financial help but for us many times our, our widows may not but that certainly doesn't mean they don't need honored and taken care of they just not have to need to be with money and i would think i don't know for you but for me you know Personal love and care is worth a lot more than money. I didn't marry my wife for her money, you know, and I wasn't looking for somebody to have a lot of money so I'd have a lot of money.
3: She didn't marry you for money, either. She
0: didn't. Good thing. And you know, I think almost all kids. I remember seeing this. This is the, the other way. Never. Some of you may have seen this. I've seen. You know, not a lot of movies in my life. Did you ever see the movie Savannah Smiles? that's a long time ago but I always remember this little thing Uh, dad was running for governor or something and he was down in the big dining room entertaining a whole you know big long table full of important people that he was trying to get lined up as supporters for his run for governor or whatever when the maid looks down through the rails from upstairs and impatiently the father looks up what do you need She said, Savannah wants you to come up and tuck her in bed. Savannah's like six or seven. And he said, put a quarter in her piggy bank and tell her I'll see her in the morning. (laughs) Now, I just thought, wow, isn't that, you know, sad? I mean, wow. What kid would rather have a quarter in their piggy bank than have Daddy tuck him in bed? You know, a quarter is not really long and I'm sure that would be true as you know we get older and maybe less able to get out and around and and all of that you know personal attention is worth a whole lot more than the quarters and the piggy bank other thoughts? you
1: know any cases of widows today in the church? I can't even think
0: of any where the church is supported. Uh, it's certainly not very common, I can't. Yeah. It does happen. I'm sure. Right. I'm just trying to think. But, you know, I mean, I do know a lot of widows who are well off financially. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's amazing how rich... Our whole lifestyle is. And he's telling this to Timothy
1: and, you know, it appears like verse 3, honor the widows as a personal instruction, but then the other appears more to be, pass this on and here's how the the church and the rest of the
0: people... Verse 7. ...need to deal with this. Yes, prescribed. So I think that's saying all of this is really what he's supposed to pass on. Okay. Yeah. I think this is really the teaching. You really haven't come yet, in the first eight verses, to where he's telling the church to do anything. But now, starting in verse 9, you do come to that. And this is a little bit more complicated. You've got this woman to be something. (laughs) And it depends on your translation. Uh, And your translation is probably going to be varied depending on what the translators thought this was talking about. In the New American Standard, it's a widow is to be put on the list. And uh, he talks about the widows on the list. And there are several qualifications for this woman on the list in verses 9 and 10. What are the qualifications?
2: Not less than
0: 60. At least 60 years old. The wife of one husband. So she's sexually faithful. And basically verse 10 is saying what?
3: Works.
0: Yes. She has a, a fame for her good works and for her taking care of people and helping people. Those are the qualifications to be put on the list. And then in 11 and following, he talks about why you wouldn't put a younger widow on the list. Why wouldn't you? So we'll get married. Yes.
1: Uh, They might want to get married. You wouldn't want somebody
0: on the list that's wanting to get married. Yes. I don't know why. But But you wouldn't. And yet you wouldn't want a younger widow not to get married, verse 13 and 14 and 15, because they just have too much time on their hands and go about as gossips and busybodies, so a younger widow ought to get married, bear children, keep the house, and not involve themselves in things that... Uh, they have no business involving themselves in. So he's saying don't put a younger widow on the list because they might want to get married and that wouldn't be good and yet it is good for a younger widow to get married. That would be the better thing so that they had more constructive and productive occupations of their time. Now one of the big uh, question marks in this whole thing is why in verse 11 and 12 would being put on the list mean you couldn't get married? That's a real question. Now, in the New American Standard, the way they say this, they make it pretty clear. Uh, From their perspective, and this may be the case, I don't have a better one, but it may be that being put on the list was being on a list for some sort of special permanent support and service, and that they took a pledge not to get married and so if you put on the list you couldn't get married because you basically took a pledge that you'd be a full time you know unmarried servant to the church and you'd be receiving support kind of like a class of workers of older women Um, maybe that's the case I am not sure what he's talking about but that is the way the near American standard seems to read and uh, like I said I don't have anything better to offer I do think, here's the practical thing in this, in 13 to 15, you can just see how bad it is to be idle. Idleness is a, it it gives you time to get involved in things that you have no business getting involved with. Here, it's idle younger widows who start being gossips and busybodies, start trying to run everybody else's life and tell about everybody else's life because they don't have enough to do. But I think that's true for any of us, when we do not have enough to do, we're going to get in trouble. Almost always. We need to be productive and occupied in constructive activities. While the Bible doesn't have this statement so many words, an idle mind is the devil's workshop and this passage would be good support for that slogan. All right, comments and questions through verse 15.
1: Is 16 a summary again kind of related to the children part from the very beginning? The, uh, the family?
0: Yes, I think 16 is a summary, and he kind of groups all of this together. But yeah, going more back to 2 through 8, or 3 through 8. If any woman who's a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. You know, so the church shouldn't be burdened to care for widows that have children and grandchildren to provide for them and take care of them because if you start burdening the church with the care of all widows then they're not going to have enough resources to take care of the widows who don't have anybody to take care of so that shows that sometimes there are responsibilities an individual Christian has that the church does not have you know here's what the individual Christian is supposed to do take care of their own widows here's what the church is supposed to do take care of the widows who have nobody to take care of Yes.
2: Is it a stretch to say that this can apply also to single women who never got
3: married and are getting older and kind of
0: a care for them? Probably. I mean, I, I don't know how we could use this passage for that. Still in all, we ought to take care of them. I mean, there's a lot of passages that tell us about love and kindness and passion. But, I mean, this passage seems pretty strong on it's talking about widows, so I think we probably ought to just say before this time. Verse sixteen: um, If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them. Why? why does he say any woman? Has to well, that's a good question. And here's what I think, and this may apply to some of the things we were saying earlier. The duty of caring for widows would be mostly applicable to women. They'd be the ones taking care of the widows a whole lot more than the men would be. Maybe that's an indication that this is more than even financial, just financial support, even in this passage. Yeah uh well yeah it should be woman i think in the original i believe i'm right on that but it is feminine what have you got the new king james king james yeah. okay. i think i'm right that it's the the feminine word yeah uh, side of my side I think james says the text of man okay so they just added it, yeah, they added it. <laughs> That's well, convenient of them.
3: That helps things
0: a lot Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, translators have to help the Lord out every once in a while. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think the original here is the uh, woman. Because she would be the one taking care of the women. So just for the sake of uh, purity. Yeah, and, and for the sake of, I mean, who is going to go and help the widow out with her personal needs. I mean, I don't know, I mean you may get to the point where purity's kind of not the issue. But, but you know, still, a woman is going to do those kinds of things most naturally. The man's probably not going to go in and, you know, whatever needs to be done to care for her personal needs. Can you see taking your mom to a hair appointment? I mean, really, come on. <laughs> Yeah, or whatever, even as she becomes more debilitated, uh, just more. I mean, it's not bad to have male nurses. That's a good thing. But even in our culture, we still have an overwhelming predominance of female nurses. That's just work that maybe you know is more natural to imagine a woman take a woman do it. Other thoughts and comments through 16? Well, let's read the next section. We'll not probably have time to talk about all of this yet in detail, but, but I want you to think about it this way. Um, not all of you may agree on this, but I believe this whole section is really dealing with elders. So why don't you read it that way, kind of think about it that way and see what you think as we... Go through it then this week and next. Seventeen to twenty-five.
3: but the elders rule rule be well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Spirit says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborers to de- deserve their wages. Do not omit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses as for those who resist and sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and all the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice, um doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on your hands or taking part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, no longer drinking only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of the sins of some men are whose going before, for them to, to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not, cannot remain.
0: Okay, so in 17 and 18, what's he telling us about the elders? Yes. Count them worthy of double honor. We've been using the word honor all throughout this passage. But here when he says double honor, thinking think he may mean respect and money. Because he says, don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. The labor is worthy of his wages. So, if an elder does his work well and works hard at preaching and teaching, it would be appropriate to pay the elder for his work. Everybody's deserving of compensation for what they work at. Now this also tells us a lot about what the elder's work is. It's to rule and it's to work hard at preaching and teaching. So much in the scriptures indicate that the primary work of an elder is feeding the sheep, preaching and teaching. That is, I believe the number one job of elders I think we've often relegated elders to business managers but their primary role is in preaching and teaching it's in feeding the flock so if you've got an elder that works hard at preaching and teaching he devotes himself to that considering worthy of double honor not just respect, pay him Because you don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Comments and questions on those two verses.
2: Just like widows today, my personal experience is that this is not something that is practiced broadly either. But I may be out of touch. But maybe it's more common than having a list of of widows. But... Somewhat still novel concept, at least from my own experience.
0: To the extent that it is, it may be a reflection of not understanding the work of an elder and how to do that work well would probably take time away from a full-time job. You know, it's difficult to do a full-time job and work well as an elder, especially if the congregation has much size to it. (laughs)
3: I was in a congregation one time where some of the elders were saying they didn't have time to do some of this stuff. And so they would, have, it would have, it
0: might have been able to. Yes. Yeah. It's a blessing to an elder who does wants to do his work well if he's supported to, to do that. I've known several that are, but it's still probably not the norm. It's
2: comforting to know that an elder is available to you at you know any time basically whenever they aren't caught up in a full-time job or hobbies i've known others that their hobbies took up a
3: lot of time that it should
0: have yeah absolutely i mean why wouldn't a sheep need contact with their shepherd um i was just talking with a girl the other day and She's talking about some things that are troubling her in the Bible class she's in a church sounds to me like appropriately she's troubled by that I said does the church have elders she said yes I said I think you need to contact them. I think you need to talk to them she was going to do that I, I think she said well is that the right thing to do I said well that's, that's the place God put them they're your shepherds you know I mean that's that's who ought to be involved in helping you with this and in dealing with the situation and so forth. And, uh, you know, if you have an elder that's inaccessible, you know, how's, how's the sheep going to fare with an wall shepherd? I think 19 to 21 deals with the discipline of sinning elders. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Now, why would that be?
1: That's kind of a common basis for... throughout the law of any type of accusation. Why? Two or three witnesses. So that one person can't have a grudge and, and cause
0: major changes or something on that. absolutely it protects in this case the elder from malicious criticism think about elders role and sometimes admonishing and rebuking and um, correcting can't you imagine an elder might sometimes have somebody that gets to where they don't like them very well and would like nothing better than to you know make up some accusation and get people to believe he tells Timothy don't even listen unless there's two or three witnesses it protects an elder from capricious you know ill will from somebody who's got a grudge against them Um, and Deuteronomy 19 verses 15 to 20 is a good passage about that which just indicated in the law you had to have two or three witnesses Uh, it's just not right to convict somebody on the basis of one person's testimony in the case of an elder it's not even right perhaps to, to confront them until there's at least two witnesses to verify that. Uh, there's some respect that needs to be given for the position and work that, that the elder has. But that doesn't mean that an elder is always right. Verse 20, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also be filled fearful of sinning. It is possible that an elder could sin, and in that case, if he continues in it, he's to be confronted and rebuked before the entire congregation. So he's not just saying an elder will never do wrong. He's just saying, only with two or three witnesses. And then if the elder continues in sin, then rebuke him before all. And do this, verse 21, without being swayed by personal bias. You know, without partiality. I mean, isn't it so frustrating in so many churches that relative connections change the rules? You know, I was just talking with somebody just the other day about a situation in the congregation where uh, an elder's, one of an elder's sons is getting by with something they never let anybody else in the group get by with. Something kind of outrageous. And that shouldn't be. But for Timothy needs to be impartial you know be fair and just everybody should be treated fairly uh, Timothy may have a favorite elder in the church but if he continues in sin he ought to be rebuked before all comments and questions through 21 then I'm going to stop there And uh, we can work on anything else you want to say about that. And starting 22 next week, Uh, my plan is yes, no, yes, no. I should be here next week and not the following, and then the next week and not the following. So at the moment, I'm every other week for about the next four weeks. But I should be here next week.